desensitization is really useful in certain circumstances. In the general population, it's actually a really bad thing to be desensitized because it makes you undervalue other people's pain. Hi, I'm Delaney Rustin, physician and filmmaker of the Screenagers movies, and this is the Screenagers podcast. I've been thinking a lot about violence in video games and the shows that kids are watching these days. What's the impact of all these hours and hours that kids are playing and seeing such things? I know a lot of parents have told me recently that they've allowed their kids to play games that they wouldn't have before COVID just because it has been such a source of connection and whatnot. Researchers have been studying the question about the impact of violence for a long time. And today we hear from one of my favorite researchers in this area. Douglas Gentile is a child psychologist and professor at Iowa State University and has spent over 25 years researching these topics. We start by discussing one of his major studies that was conducted over several years. So we did a study with 3,000 kids followed across three years. We were looking at their violent video game play and looking at their aggressive ways of thinking as well as their aggressive behaviors. And we measured three types of aggressive cognition. The first, if you're keeping track on your lucky psychological jargon scorecard, is called hostile attribution bias. We all know people who, when something annoying happens, like they get bumped in the hallway, uh, they give the other person the benefit of the doubt, right? They Mm -hmm. turn the other cheek, they let it roll off their back. We also know people who take it very personally. This is more like that, where you have a bias for attributing hostility to other people's actions. In a violent video game, you're practicing expecting other creatures to come out and be hostile towards you. Mm-hmm. And so it turns out that the more kids play violent video games, the better they get at having a hostile attribution bias. They start seeing aggressor in more places than it actually really is out in the world. When things are ambiguous, they're much more likely to attribute it to hostile motives rather than benign motives. The second type of aggressive cognition we measured is normative beliefs about aggression. What this is, is we all know people who think that it's never okay to respond aggressively when provoked. And we also know people who think you should hit back harder. (laughs) This is more like that one, that you start seeing it as more acceptable to behave aggressively when provoked. Mm. And again, in a violent video game, not only do you get lots of opportunities and lots of provocation, but you get rewarded if you behave aggressively. In fact, sometimes you get punished if you don't, you lose the game. Or your friends yell at you or something if you're not quick enough to kill and whatnot. Exactly. The third type of aggressive cognition we measured is aggressive fantasies. And simply put, this is how much time you spend thinking about how you would like to hurt other people. And of course, the entire time you're playing a violent video game, you're practicing an aggressive fantasy. Mm -hmm. So what we see is that kids who play more violent video games do change in all three of these types of aggressive cognitions. Kids who have more aggressive cognitions are now more aggressive out in the real world. Because the study followed kids over three years, they were able to see that if a child, for whatever reason, started to spend more time playing violent video games during those three years, were they more likely to then act out aggressively over time? And indeed, they were. What interests me about this study is 
it shows the truth of how it works. Let's consider this kid who's been playing a lot of violent video games. Well, he gets bumped in the school hallway. Because he's been playing a lot of video games, you're expecting other people to be aggressive. He no longer assumes it was an accident. Mm. And he starts assuming the other person meant to do it. That tiny little shift in perception changes everything. Another thing you practice in violent video games is when you see an, uh, what might be an aggressive stimulus is you quickly reorient your attention toward it. So that'll happen, right? The kid will quick turn to see who bumped him. Mm-hmm. And we'll call to mind something that you know he should do in response. Well, the thing that people do is the thing that comes to mind fastest. And what's most available is the thing you've practiced the most. So if you've been playing lots of violent video games, you have practiced an aggressive response to an aggressive provocation thousands and thousands of times. And so you can see how the odds have shifted in that school hallway just a little bit. But but when that kid does push back or say something unkind, then the odds of this turning into a full-blown fight skyrocket so that you'll get involved in more aggressive encounters than you would have if you hadn't been practicing these games. But you're never going to connect it back to games because it doesn't look like what you did in the game. Nobody is going to equate the two is what you mean. No one will connect it. And when that fight happens in the school hallway, it looks nothing like what they were playing in games. And the problem is we only talk about this when there's some horrible tragedy like a mass shooting, but that's the wrong time to talk about because that's not how this effect works. This effect does not cause school shooters. This effect changes the way you see the world subtly, and that just changes the odds. And that one little changing the odds kind of has these ripples downstream, making it more likely that you'll respond aggressively when provoked and therefore get into more aggressive encounters. My um, husband watched a film the other night, and it was literally a a man who has a hammer who goes around killing people on the level of violence. I mean, I can't even watch it, but what I feel like we're ignoring so much, not just video games, but just the intensity every year of what kids are, can be, and often are exposed to, and nobody talking much about this is, is really alarming to me. Yeah. And we're not talking about it because we as a culture have become so desensitized to it. That's the way desensitization works is that you're shocked the first time and the second time you're a little less shocked and the third time you're a little Mm -hmm. less shocked and after a while just seems normal. And what we don't realize is that even though we as adults can maybe handle it now, although you know, from your refusal to watch it, I I (laughs) would say that even adults, uh, you know, haven't become entirely desensitized to it. Thank goodness. Kids haven't been right. So we're throwing them in right into the deep end of the pool now compared to what kids were exposed to say when I was growing up in the sixties and seventies. What is the problem with being desensitized? On the one hand, it's a good thing. Desensitization, uh, the more technical term is called habituation. This is one of the ways the brain learns. We can become bored with something we see repeatedly. That can be really valuable, right? If you were a police officer or a a doctor, you are a doctor, you know, you you do a surgery rotation. Yes. Did you throw up in the operating room? 
I actually did pass out, but that, not because of blood, just the cauterization, the burning skin for some reason triggered a vasovagal. But but absolutely, I just this week I had to, uh, you know, um, drain a big abscess and I can, you know, do that, no problem. But a lot of other people, you know, if you hadn't, you know, cut skin and pus and all of that stuff, you might have a hard time with it. Right. And how did you learn to be able to do it? No problem. You did it a bunch of times. Absolutely. Yes. That, so, so desensitization is actually really useful in certain circumstances. So the question to ask is, is it useful to become desensitized to violence? Well, if you're in the military, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of our kids aren't going to grow up to be in a position where you want them to pull the trigger. In the general population, it's actually a really bad thing to be desensitized because it does make you more willing to behave aggressively, but it also makes you undervalue other people's pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that when you see things like the storming of the Capitol, you think, oh, that's no big deal. You know, because you've seen things like that that looked even worse. So you don't recognize just how horrifying an event that might be, right? Or how Mm -hmm. much pain and suffering people actually were going through in that. We lessen our perception of other people's pain, which then lessens our willingness to help. I know that American Academy of Pediatrics, their policy statement around media that's violent, talked about aggressive behavior, which we've been talking about, desensitization to violence, nightmares, and fears of being harmed. Which of those do you think parents, you know, don't often think about, but is important for parents as well as teens and kids themselves to be thinking about? Well, there are at least 19 scientifically documented effects of media violence (laughs) on kids, you know, at different, at different levels. These are at emotional levels, at behavioral levels, attitudinal levels. There are short-term effects, there are long-term effects. I actually think the desensitization one uh, is perhaps the, the one that's undervalued most. And the reason is because parents see it as a good thing. Doug explains an example from his own life when he picked out a movie to watch with his four-year-old. So I picked Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Now here's a great family story. What I forgot is that what kids are scared by is really different from what adults are scared by. Mm -hmm. And so the child catcher comes on. If you recall, the child catcher has this really long nose. Adults find that hilarious. Kids find it terrifying. And so my four-year-old runs behind the, you know, the chair and is peeking out at it, having an appropriate fear reaction. I found myself saying the same thing every parent says. Guess what I said? It's okay, honey. It's just a movie. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let's analyze what's really happening here. She is seeing something that is scary and She's having the appropriate reaction to it. She's scared. Instead of me validating her fear, her reaction to the world, I'm negating it. I'm telling her, sit down and learn to like it because I'm (laughs) too lazy to turn it off. Mm -hmm. Because I'm too selfish to pay attention to your feelings. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder why kids, you know, <laughs> first of all, you know, we, we find it more comforting for us when they're desensitized. 
right? So we actually promote it. Now, no parent thinks that's what they're doing, right? I didn't, you know, I didn't think, you know, I, I was thought I was being helpful, but little kids can't understand that. And so what they are learning from you is you don't care about their reactions, that you don't care about their feelings and that they're supposed to learn to be desensitized. To be out of touch with their feelings. Exactly. Yeah. And then we wonder why we have so many emotion dysregulation problems later on and mm-hmm. into adulthood and with their own romantic mm-hmm. relationships because we've taught them from an early age not to trust their own emotional reactions. Mm-hmm. And not to be attuned to it. Like, just put it aside, put it aside. Yeah. I mean, that was when Screenagers Next Chapter, that was just one of the key things that I wanted to use stories to get in there. How key it is that we give our kids, I call it um, their superpower, their ability to recognize their emotions and then to actually be able to understand when they should follow those emotions that guides them well, or when do emotions lie to us? Like depression symptoms say to you, oh, you're the only one who has this. Don't tell anyone that you uh, are feeling this way. I mean, there's like, there's so much interesting things around the conflicts we have around our emotions. Well, is there something you say to uh, kids and teens that help them to see things a little differently? Has there any messaging you've talked with them about that you feel like gets their eyes to light up when they think about what video games they want to play? Talk about their younger siblings. They may not believe that media violence influences them, but they can see the effect on their, their brothers and sisters, and they care about their brothers and sisters. So you may not be able to actually change their habits for themselves, but you can at least get them recognizing that this is a real thing and they don't fight you on that because they see it on their siblings and they love their siblings. And so they're willing to not do it in, you know, not play the game in front of their siblings or things like, you know, so you can, you can go that Mm -hmm. way uh, to, to get past their resistance uh, pretty quickly. Oh, I love that because it's also that idea of like you're, you know, they saw that their sibling was really scared and had a nightmare and it's just like kind of can open them up like, wow, this is having impacts on them probably could very well be having it on me as well. Yeah. People are still resistant to that, believing that, but they, and, and similarly, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk to parents, right? The parents care about their kids. They're not asking for themselves. But it affects them just as much as the kids. <laughs> well, like I said, I can't watch many, many things. A lot of, you know, part of it trauma in my life growing up. But for whatever reason, I also just don't like the way that it makes me feel. And it doesn't promote me to do the work that I do, which is all about trying to make things better in this world. It just, yeah. it brings me down. It doesn't motivate me. That kind of, that negativity. What, what got you interested in, to begin with? I mean, why this area of research? And why do I care about media in this is because we, we overlook it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. become so integrated into our lives. It's the, it's the culture we swim in that we can't see anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we don't even notice how huge an effect it has on us. And and then we're not getting the benefits or we're not getting as many of them as we could. And we're getting far more of the harm all the while pretending like it doesn't affect us. Mm, So true. 
I learned a lot in this discussion talking with Dr. Gentile, and I appreciated all his psychology talk. Hostile attribution bias, the idea that a person is more likely to read into an ambiguous act as hostile, the term normative beliefs about aggression, the idea that, well, it seems pretty darn acceptable to have aggressive types of responses to situations, the idea of aggressive fantasies, how much time is spent thinking about hurting others, like how you might get revenge at a neighbor you're frustrated at, and finally, availability heuristics. What response pops into someone's mind when they're in a stress situation? What's their go-to quick reaction coping skills? Our world is so complex. Violence in media and games is complicated and definitely warrants talks with our kids to get them to be critical thinkers about it all. How do they feel watching certain things, playing certain things? What are the things they watch that show alternative ways of working through conflict other than just fighting? And the idea of desensitization. What are some upsides? How about the downsides? I can't imagine... (laughs) A more important time than right now for us to be talking with our kids, no matter what games or shows they're watching, about what they're doing in their lives to boost their natural kindness and ability to love. Our kids have so much of that in them. Let's help them harness these things and other wonderful qualities as much as possible. That's it for the show. I want to thank Doug Gentile for being on the show. He has a new book out on this topic, as well as lots of research papers and much more. You can go to Screenagers Movie website and you'll find the show notes to learn about these things. You'll also find out at ScreenagersMovie.com how you can watch right now with your kids Screenagers and Screenagers Next Chapter. And there are so many resources around video gaming and much more. I want to thank my co-producer, Lisa Tabb. I'm Delaney Rustin producer, editor, and host of the Screenagers podcast. And hey, if you get a minute to review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, that helps us know what you like and helps people find us. So thank you so very much. And I look forward to being with you next time.